Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Hey, everyone. It's been a minute since I've personally just talked to you directly like this. I've done so many back-to-back interviews for the last several months, and I thought it would be good for me to stop and just have a direct conversation with you, kind of like a fireside chat, and just kind of recap what the last chunk of time has been like and kind of give you some of my commentary because I know a lot of you are new. You, you found me because of my coming out story and the work that I've been doing in the queer theology space. Others of you have been following me for a long time and you've like loved and enjoyed the journey and the transformation and the changes. Others of you who've been following me for a while have had to step away, either be less vocal or just stop following me entirely, which means you might not even see this video. Uh, you might not even catch this episode because what I'm saying and what I'm presenting and the arguments that I'm putting on the table, the things that I don't respect or value anymore, the things I'm advocating for are just so different from where we started, right? And I get that. So I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that and give you some of my commentary on why this has gone the way that it has. I've ultimately left a lot of this for you to just figure out and do what you want to with it, but I'd like to address some of that now. So hopefully there's a bit of a DTR that can happen for us um, and we can blaze into the future with some hope and clarity and connection as this continues to unfold. So brief recap, I was at Bethel Church for 12 and a half years and for a chunk of those years, I was participating in the leadership space and was very much influential in a lot of things, specifically teaching in the ministry school there on the gift of discernment. Uh, I took interns from the third year program there. I led mission trips with the school. I also traveled traveled and spoke all over the world under the Bethel banner. Uh, And I was so honored to get to do all those things, but through a series of encounters with God uh, that ultimately culminated in me coming out as a gay man. I've been gay my whole life. I've just been closeted, shoving it down, trying to change. I tried to do the ex-gay thing. Uh, Never actually successfully got to a point where I could say I was an ex-gay because I could never admit that I was gay to begin with. And none of that stuff worked. None of it changed my sexuality. None of it changed my attractions. Contradictory to all that effort and attempt, everything I had been hearing expressly from the Spirit of God in my life was that they wanted me to be gay, which was so unchristian back then for me. So I did the work of pulling apart the six clobber passages specifically, but also just like devouring content and academics and research from people who have done the work of disarming scripture, the Bible, against gay people specifically, but also against a lot of people. And as I started to pull that stuff apart, it started to become pretty obvious that there was a lot of gross bias and prejudice and bigotry in Christianity, specifically as it pertained to anyone other than the people who subscribed to the specific set of beliefs that whatever denomination this Christian was a part of, either they were acceptable or they weren't based on what they regarded. This whole setup screams conditions. It screams conditional love, conditional acceptance. It's very cliquish, it's very exclusive, it's very anti-gospel. So I want to take a moment to just kind of lay some things on the table and explain some of the things behind why I've done what I've done, the things I've said or not said, the stances I've taken. There are very purposeful reasons I've done this, and I would like to just kind of level with you here. So here we go. My first priority when it came to coming out and addressing the public regarding my own sexuality as a gay man and my 
advocacy for queer people because of that. Uh, not because I was gay. That's a secondary motive. The main priority for me stepping out and being vocal in public about this is because God is affirming of the queer community. I understand there are a lot of Christians who disagree with that, with me on that, and that's fine. I don't need them to agree. That doesn't change who I know God to be and what I've expressly experienced from them. God is affirming, celebratory, embracing of the queer community. I'm not negotiating on this. I'm not like entertaining, we have different thoughts. I'm saying everyone who thinks God doesn't is wrong and they don't know this person. That's what I'm saying. I, my first order of business in being public about this was I needed to remove the question mark from my voice regarding how God felt about the queer community. I needed to make sure there was zero gray area, zero question, zero ambiguity about what I was or wasn't saying about who God was and what they were saying and how they felt regarding the LGBTQ plus community. Hopefully I've accomplished that. Hopefully that's happened. Hopefully it's been explicit enough. I feel like I've gone to some length to remove any kind of question or doubt about what lines I'm drawing in the sand. I hope I've done that. A response to that line that I drew in the ways that I knew how to draw them, especially early on, there was a strong, pervasive, deep backlash from bigoted religion. There was so much homophobia and anti-gay rhetoric and the Bible kept being brought in as a reason to justify and substantiate hate, condemnation, exclusion, rejection, which is so awkward if you actually read the Bible. The backlash was so intense that I actually, in response to the level of vitriol I was receiving, had to push back even harder. I ended up having to emphasize what I was saving to an even more intense degree in order to cut through all of the weird, layered, manipulative tactics from Christians trying to twist my words, trying to like pin me to the wall and implicate me, condemn me for the falsehood I was teaching, for the ways I was leading people astray. I mean, the amount of angles people came at me with their anti-gay agenda was shocking. It was shocking. So I pushed back even harder. Firstly, to remove any level of compromise that I was experiencing in my own heart. I wanted to make sure that I was not flirting with, well, should I negotiate with them here? I wanna be gracious. I wanna be tolerant. I wanna allow homophobic attitudes because I know where they're coming from. I had to remove that from my heart. I'm not saying other people who do that are wrong. I am not allowed to do that and be a whole person. It would be completely contra contradictory to everything I've experienced in conviction from the Holy Spirit and my voice in this conversation. My next priority was to remove any kind of doubt in the hearts and minds of the queer people who were following me on how I felt about us how I experienced God's heart toward us. I wanted to make sure there was zero question about my willingness, my resolve to step in and advocate for us because of who I know God to be and how I've experienced God in my life. Hopefully I didn't leave any questions for my queer audience of where I stood, how I felt, or how I'd respond to any level of hate or backlash against us. Along that process, deconstruction is a necessary byproduct of queer affirming theology. The prejudiced beliefs of empirical Christianity are tied together like a web. If one piece of this woven monster gets pulled apart, it's not an isolated incident or event. That unraveling starts to affect other things that this whole machine is built on. If you undo one prejudice, it starts to unravel the others. So in this process and journey, the humanizing experience of having to undo this harm and step in with conviction and confidence about what it is I've actually observed and understood here, it started to become eerily 
obvious. Evangelical Christianity doesn't offer an invitation to the gospel. It offers an invitation into the white Christian nationalism club. However this ended up happening, there is an agenda behind the institutionalized church in America, and it is not biblical. Something that I had to stop and sober up and like take inventory of, process through myself, divest from personally, my organization, my team, my community, that was a lot of work. And then starting to say some of this stuff out loud publicly to you out there, that was a whole decision. But something that I wanted to make sure I got very clear about was to acknowledge that the Bible has been weaponized. This collection of writings from the predecessors of our faith has turned into justification, legal documentation, allowing the privilege of us to condemn, to implicate, to exclude, to harm, to oppress, to silence, to other, to ignore, to marginalize people who didn't fit our way of life. And by our, I don't mean Christian, I don't mean Jewish, I don't mean biblical, I mean white, colonial America. I'm not interested in getting political here. I'm not avoidant of it, but it's not my goal. I understand some of you listening to me right now automatically hear these tokenized words, these politicized terms, and the walls are going up. Your loyalty and affiliations are going up. The rational, logical, critical thinking components are not coming into play. I understand that you automatically get put down a track of defensiveness and adherence to the tribe you're part of. I get that. I'm hoping that there's just more going on here for you that you can start asking some very real and honest questions about what you're affiliated with, what you're aligned with, what you're loyal to, and why. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, the thing that binds us together in our faith cannot be doctrine. <laughs> I, I know that's an inflammatory statement. I get it. I listen, I did I played the game for like over a decade in my life. My professional my professional career was built on this game. I get what I'm saying, right? I know it's heretical. Let me ask you a question. What makes a person a Christian? Honestly, if you were to genuinely like boil down what's the litmus test for whether someone legitimately is officially a Christian or not, if what comes to your mind is a list of beliefs that they're supposed to hold, a list of doctrine they're supposed to respect and adhere to, then we are no longer talking about Christianity, especially not a Christianity that I care to be part of. If loving God and your neighbor is not the hallmark defining feature of a Christian, then I'd like to just take a moment and say that I am not a Christian. It's been genuinely sobering and shocking to witness the privileged part of our population silence the victim, blame the victim, gaslight the victim, etc. Instead of listening and acknowledging, recognizing that the victim is actually pointing to a problem that we are all part of. And I wouldn't have seen this if I hadn't gone on my coming out journey, but realizing how much of a victim I was in the things that were put on me my whole life before I even knew that I could say no. I was victimized by toxic theology, by really bad doctrine and ideology. There was so much anti-gay, homophobic values in my home and my church and my community growing up that I didn't even get to question a lot of it, I just suffered from it. Where was the justice in my experience growing up as a Christian? Where were the people who were advocating for me? They weren't in the Christian community. They had been driven out. They had been sent somewhere else. Those people found safer pastures somewhere else and I was left victimized. 
watching how evangelicals respond to the victim, the least of these, the marginalized, oppressed identity trying to express pain, suffering, harm that they are experiencing, and watching the collective majority do anything other than listen to, care for, protect, prioritize, search out the victim is baffling. It's so deeply concerning. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm not trying to throw rocks at the Pharisees. I'm trying to say, hey, we have a problem. We, as the body of Christ, as the people who say that we know God, that we know what God is like, that the love of God is moving through us, if we're making those claims, we have some serious cleaning up to do. We have some serious humbling to do. And as an individual, I got to walk out a lot of this a couple of years ago, and it was so painful. It was humiliating. It was embarrassing. It was so grievous, for sure. But it was necessary. I could not be where I am today. I could not have cleaned up and removed a lot of the toxicity from my own life if I wasn't willing to get on my knees and repent for the ways that I had been complicit with this nasty system that I'm describing. That had to be done. That's not unique to me. And I'm not asking any of us to do something that I've not personally done myself and that I'm not continuing to do. We have a lot of listening to catch up on. We have a lot of apologizing to own up to. We have a lot of humbling to experience. And so many of the people who are actually committing the crimes that victims are trying to point to are doing anything other than those things. They're closing their ears. They're blaming the victim. They're doing all the things to make this somebody else's fault, namely the person who's making the noise about it, than to actually show up with responsibility and ownership. And the biblical language for this would be compassion, mercy, grace, humility, love. We are not showing up like that. And it is concerning. There is a cancer in the body of Christ and it needs to be addressed. So I've spent actually a lot more energy in my social media world, more than I ever anticipated that I was going to, pushing back on this rhetoric, on this really toxic dynamic that I'm seeing from the evangelical community. I have showcased lots of like DMs that I've received, comments that have been sent my way. All of the hate that I've received from my audience has come from evangelical Christians. It's shocking, it's concerning, it's so twisted and yet so common. We don't even, we're not even shocked anymore, right? Like it's just not even that big of a deal to us. I'm still shocked. I'm like, how is this coming from the Christians? How is this where we are? In that process, I've witnessed Christians refuse to remove the plank out of their own eye. So they're actually incapable of being any help at all to this work of justice. The lack of humility, the lack of grace, and the lack of compassion that would necessitate prioritizing the wounded person's voice in this conversation is deeply troubling. Human lives are more valuable than our freedom of speech or our right to an opinion. I understand that Americans aren't gonna like that statement. I am an American and I'm happy to be one. I think America is a beautiful country of amazing people who have done something fantastic by way of what a nation is capable of and what kind of growth and change we can undergo. And I can't wait to see what we also get to do down the road. I'm hopeful that we're gonna to get to see a change in this stuff, that we're gonna see a corporate repentance and humbling where the, the whole of our nation is going to apologize to the queer community and we're going to fully embrace and establish legal changes to enforce regard for human life and protect the rights of people, not the rights of the privileged few. The lives of queer people are more valuable, are worth more, are regarded in the eyes of God 
then people's right to say whatever they want, then people's rights to, to their own opinions, like that's all fine. Your freedom of speech, your right to an opinion matters somewhere. It doesn't matter more than the well-being of other actual human people. And it's really sad that I have to explicitly describe and explain this, but hearing the far-right, evangelical, white, Christian, nationalistic voice that is very prevalent in our country today respond to the queer conversation, I feel like I need to stop and draw a, a line in the sand, stick a stake in the ground and say, hey, these people's lives matter more than your freedom of speech. This is not a theological or political conversation. This is about ethics. This is about the sacredness of human life and the nature of God and God's love present in the world. I know that I've estranged a lot of you by speaking out the way that I have. That was not my goal. That was not my intent. I've not wanted to push people away or scare them or offend them or humiliate them or bully them. There might have been moments where I've clapped back on social media, especially because of the absurdity of a comment. But my overarching goal here has never been to try and shove the people I'm addressing here away. I've been trying to wake up, provoke, offend the mind so people can realize something else is going on here. Mike hasn't just lost it. There might actually be a very real problem that me as the listener might actually be part of. Because the thing is, Mike, three, four years ago, I would have been offended by me. I would have written me off. I would have maybe stopped following me. I don't know if that's true. But I definitely would have like hated a lot of things that I'm saying now, would have disagreed, right? I get it. I understand some of this stuff is intimidating, is scary, is unnerving, is so foreign. But when people like me, when people within the queer community continue to represent the dehumanization of us, the harm and suffering that we are experiencing because of choices our brothers and sisters are making, not because our sexuality is flawed. It's because of how we're being treated, how we're being perceived, how we're not being cared for that is causing the pain and suffering in our lives. So while I want to acknowledge that some of you have probably felt estranged and like detached from the things that I'm representing or advocating for here, I just want to clarify that I cannot apologize for doing this work. This work that I've been committed to for the last six months at least is me undoing the complicity that I demonstrated in supporting harmful structures and ideologies. They were harmful to me, they were harmful to people like me, and they were harmful to people that are nothing like me that are still marginalized in their own way. The gospel was never supposed to create any kind of structure like that. People were never supposed to be affected by what was written in the Bible in these ways. This was never supposed to happen. We have grossly missed it and we must course correct. Not because we're gonna be punished, but because we are capable of better. Because we actually can know and demonstrate and release the love of God for people. We actually can do it. Like it's within our grasp, we are able to. Righteousness cannot apologize for doing good work. There's nothing to apologize for. I hope those of you who feel like the queer conversation estranges you or like that your involvement is that you're separate from this conversation. I hope that if you're in that camp that you don't interpret my actions, my choices, my voice, my initiative to undo or change our attitude here. I hope you don't interpret that as irrelevant to your life. I'm hoping that you can recognize that what I'm saying here absolutely involves, affects, includes, and requires you. I'm not just advocating for queer people. I'm advocating for goodness, for justice, for love. I refuse to sit at a table that Jesus has flipped. And 
I hope that you'll join me in that journey. I know this is messy. I know it's a lot to sort through. I know it's scary. Because of how much work needs to go into us actually changing our mind, actually deciding that our course, if we're the Titanic, isn't headed in a great direction and that we actually should invest in repurposing where we're going with all of this. I know it's a lot of work. I have some solutions for you. So if you're someone who's like, listen, Mike, you have offended me. I have not loved what you're doing. I have been really uncomfortable, but I will admit, I don't know that I'm right. I'm willing to ask questions. I'm willing to negotiate. I'm willing to like consider here. If that's you, I would like to help. I don't want to beat you into a bloody pulp. I don't want to pin you against the wall and yell at you and tell you how wrong you are. I mean, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I do want to do that. I don't want to do that here. I do want to invite you to the table for you to get to have conversations, for you to get to wrestle through some stuff. So here are some options from my world and my team that you can easily engage in that might help in being able to get to another layer of this conversation and maybe recognize that some of the things that I've been pointing out and saying no to are actual problems. It's not just me using that as fodder for social media content. There's an actual problem here that needs to be addressed. If you're interested, we have a couple of different mentorship groups that are spaces for people to get to chime in, to wrestle things out, to express themselves and go through their process however it is they need to with other people who are doing the same thing. If the deconstruction space is something that you need help and support in, if you've been doing it alone or if you've been like afraid to do it, but you'd like to do it with people who are safe, who are going to give you permission to ask the questions you need to ask who will share their perspective, their experience, their findings. You'll be supported by someone who understands the journey and will help guide that process. If that's you, I'd like to suggest my Ashes Mentorship Group. This is a group dedicated to redemptively deconstructing what have we said yes to in Christianity that is actually not accomplishing the will of God in the world. What needs to be held accountable? What needs to be repented of? What needs to not be true anymore because clearly it's producing bad fruit in the world? So I'm providing a link below this episode for you to check out the Ashes group if that's something you wanna be part of. And then if you're not necessarily part of the queer community, but you know someone, someone you love, someone you're connected to is queer and you don't know how to show up for them. You, you know you care about them, you know maybe you're missing some stuff here, but you're not sure how to reconcile your faith and your conviction in the Holy Spirit, what you see in scripture, and the life of this queer person if you want to do the work of closing that gap and being able to see this person as they are, fully whole and human, and release the love of God in your life toward them, then I would like to encourage you to join the Allies Mentorship Group that my sister is leading. So I'm not allowed to be in that group. It's only for people who are not queer, but are working through their ability to actually show up and become an ally for the queer community. So that link is provided below as well if that's something you'd like to be part of. And then lastly, if you are a queer person, specifically a queer Christian, and you're having trouble reconciling your faith with your sexuality, maybe you're deeply in the closet and you don't want anyone to know, maybe you're starting to kind of peek out of the closet, you're not out yet but you're trying to get there, or maybe you're out and you're still having trouble reconciling who you are as a queer person in the eyes of God. If that's where you are and you'd like to be part of a community of other queer people who are working this stuff out, who are seeing great results in their life, then I'd like to recommend the Rainbow room. This is a different group that I personally run and lead with other queer people and we're all going on this journey together of piecing together what does it look like to be a spirit-filled follower of Jesus and queer today. Thank you so much for listening to me. I hope that there's been some clarity here. As always, if you have any questions, if you have anything you'd like to communicate, you can always email me and my email address will be provided below as well. I'm so thankful for you paying attention to this conversation, for chiming in, for supporting me and my team and the work that we're doing. Thank you for being here. See you next time.
Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.